Wow, I've just been talking to Hans Kuhlberg, who, um, whose 10-month-old daughter, Aviva, died in November 2020. And he oh, has just shared such a beautiful um, explanation of his grief and, and, and what he's done to build a legacy in his, his daughter's name. I really hope you enjoy this one. Hi, Hans. Hi, Marie. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Nice to see you. Thank you. Nice to see you as well. So, listen, paint a picture of who you are and where you are and, and what you're up to. Yeah, so uh, my name is Hans. I, I'm a proud father of four. Um, I really uh, believe that is my number one job, although I do have other jobs, um, you know, traditional job as well. But, um, but really, you know, being a parent, uh, being a father is something that over the last five years since my first child was born um, ha has been my number one priority. And has, I've always taken a lot of pride in that, um, have contributed as much, you know, uh, as, as my wife uh, for that. And, um, and that's, that's, you know, the number one thing you should know about me. Um, I, I do reside in San Diego, California, and um, and I'm just um, you know really happy to be here today. No, but it's really good to have you. So tell me, so so you've written a you've you've written a, a children's book, and uh, and I'd really love you to tell us about it and to tell us the journey that that got you to that point. Yeah, so the children's book is called Baby Aviva Rangatan Diva. It was written in commemoration for my late daughter, Aviva, um, who tragically passed away in November of 2020. Uh, so just about uh, 18 months ago now. Um, and, and really, that has been fundamentally the most life transforming, life changing, uh, as well as tragic event in my entire life. Uh, it's something that I think about every single day, not the event itself, but my daughter, um, my daughter, Aviva. Um, I, I really believe that she lives, you know, with me, through me. Um, and, and one of the things, you know, in the suffering of the grief um, that was painful above and beyond her loss was the loss of, you know, seeing her flourish and seeing her grow and seeing her have an impact on people. And uh, when we had her funeral, um, it was during COVID. So there wasn't that many, there weren't that many people there even. And throughout her whole life, uh, given that she was born on January, in January, 2020, um, not many people got to know who she was. My parents never met her. Uh, my brother never met her. Um, and of course, all of the future friends that she would have had never got a chance to meet her. And so uh, I embarked on a journey to really share her story, her light, her life, her love, her laughter, uh, and with primarily children, uh, primarily the kids that, that she would have gotten to play with, but also parents as well. And, and to really tell her story in a fun and creative way. Um, I can tell you a lot more about the book, but, um, uh, orangutan, the, the orangutan diva, her name is Aviva, um, really embodies the personality, the characteristics, um, the love of life and the never-ending um, kind of spirit that that my daughter exuded and so um, there's a lot of hidden messages a lot of you know very very uh, 
very pointed messages, but but um, meaningful um, life lessons for children um, throughout the book. Mm, and the illustrations are wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, a really good good collaboration with uh, the illustrator. His name is Carl Mefford, and um, not letting the cat out of the bag yet. But we have we do have a second book that that's just been wrapped up. Um, but he, he's just been a fantastic partner to work with. Um, so I'm very lucky uh, that I got to do that. And, um, and for me, being able to share Aviva's story with children, going to classrooms, reading it on virtual classrooms even, um, has been one of the most uplifting things throughout my grieving journey. Uh, just seeing the smile on kids' faces um, really you know, shows me that my, my daughter's still alive um and present you know living through them Mm, i love that and and i love what you're saying that through the book you're sharing your hopes dreams and desires for the life that she would have had the connections that she would have made and um and it's really interesting you know they they say you know that the hardest thing is to lose a child and then i wonder about you know that that your parents hadn't even met her so how how's that has that affected your relationship with the rest of your family because they didn't know her or is that part of what you were doing with the book as well so it's, it's, it's very multifaceted, I would say, you know, there's, there's certainly many, many different layers to grief. Uh, grief is something that, you know, humans don't really know until, until they do lose a loved one. And, you know, hopefully that's very late in life uh, for most people, um, you know, for others, you know, even children who lose parents, um, it's, it's, a, it's something that they may encounter very early in life. Um, anytime you know, a loss happens, a tragedy happens that's out of the natural order of what should be you know, happening, you know, parents dying before children. Um, it's, it's just compounds the grief, I would say. Um, so certainly, you know, I, I can't think of anything harder uh, than losing a child, um, but that's from firsthand experience. And, and I don't know, you know, all, all other forms, but um, does it change the relationship with, you know, family, not, not entirely. It, it certainly changes the perspective that one has on life in and of itself. And the precarious nature that time is, is really uh, ephemeral. Uh, we, we don't have every, every single day that you wake up with your child, um, if you're lucky enough to be a parent, um, is a gift. It's, it's something that we're not reminded of on a day-to-day basis. You know, we think we wake up, we think about having to make our kids breakfast or changing them or getting them to school, all of the hassles, you know, usually that, that kids really embody and entail. Um, however, you know, we don't wake up thinking, Hey, I'm lucky that I get to make my kid breakfast. I'm lucky that mm. I get to listen you know, to them complain and listen to them make a temper tantrum in, in public, um, or, or, you know, just get it, get on my last nerves, which every parent knows, or, or give me, you know, lack of sleep, uh, which every parent knows. Um, 
you know, those, those things that we, we see on a day-to-day basis as being some of the hassles of parenting transform and, 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 and the perception of that, you know, as a parent who has lost a child is, is one of, you know, luck. I, I, I am lucky to, to be able to, um, you know, now I have three other children, living children, um, to be able to change their diapers, to be able to, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. do, do all of those things. And, and, and it's, um, it's, it's a perspective that, you know, out of the grief, uh, you know, what, what the grief has borne has, has really, um, just been, been illuminated to me. Um, but certainly not every parent has to suffer the same type of tragedy that we did, um, to really understand that perspective. And, and so part of the reason that I, I love doing podcasts and love talking, you know, uh, to people like yourself is, is to really impart, um, that perspective on other parents as well. Yeah, I know. I get that. And I'm really grateful because I have checked in with you about this next question, but, uh, and you said that you'd be happy to share what actually happened. Could you tell us what happened? You know, was it an expected you know, demise for Aviva or was it sudden? Um, it was, it was almost neither to tell you the truth. Um, so uh, Aviva was, she, she was born January, 2020, um, her ninth day of life. Uh, she had suffered through um, some lethargy. She went, went to sleep, woke up from a nap, wasn't eating, wasn't feeding, was lethargic, um, had hypothermia. So her temperature went down to in Fahrenheit, it's 95 degrees. I forgot yeah, how to do the conversion in Celsius, but, um, but in terms of, um, you know, it, it, it was, she was our third child. So we knew something was off. And so we immediately took her to the ER. Um, they rushed her to the NICU. They started performing a lot of different tests on her, including uh, the lumbar puncture, which is uh, basically taking a, a needle through her spinal tap to see if she has any meningitis. Meningitis is a very infectious um, condition at, at that age. Um, it can kind of you know do a lot of different damage. Um, but they also looked at her genetics. They looked, looked at her metabolic panels. They looked at, you know, any other types of, um, airborne diseases, et cetera. Um, kept her in the hospital for about a week. Um, never gave her any kind of medication other than a saline drip. Um, and she was able to recover. She was able to recover, um, you know, quite remarkably and back to her normal self within a couple of days. Um, so we thought this was, something odd, something off, but the doctors were scratching their heads and they basically said, you know, there's nothing that we really know in, in science literature right now that she could have had. Um, we thought it was a one-time thing. Uh, unfortunately it wasn't. She had her second episode three months later in April of that year. Um, this time they, they did the same things, but we saw neurologists, cardiologists, pulmonologists, um, geneticists, uh, across the board, it's, you know, every single doctor, um, you know, this time about 20 different doctors looked at her. They were just really confused and, and bewildered because she was able to make a full recovery um, after having similar symptoms uh, within 24 hours. Um, so it was, a, it was, it was a, a pattern now. We thought maybe there could be something environmental. We checked the house. There was nothing um, really out of, out of kilter. And then, um, 
And then she had her third episode about six weeks later, and then fourth about six weeks later after that. And so every single time the pattern was after sleeping, some lethargy, just really, just really being out of it, almost just completely, um, you know, her, her, her tone was, was, was really out, um, out of whack. And so we, we decided to move down. Uh, we were living in the Bay area in Oakland. Um, uh, so we moved down to California and, and um, uh, in Southern California, San Diego, because there was a, a mitochondrial specialist. Um, the mitochondria is a part of your subcellular le- level that, uh, that really transforms um, oxygen into energy. If you remember your biology is your, your, your ATP. Um, and we thought she might've had something wrong with her energy you know, transformation and the way that she created it. Um, this mitochondrial specialist, he has a, a four month long waiting list. Um, unfortunately, we never got to see him, um, because he's one of the world renowned ones. Um, and she had her fifth episode, uh, here in San Diego. Um, and this is about four months after her fourth. And so, so now we realize it was an environment. It was something, you know, definitely, um, you know, definitely, definitely with her, but you know, more and more, she was able to recover within almost hours, um, after coming to the hospital. So, at this point in time, it was, it was like whether we should even come to the hospital because we knew we would get the same dead end in terms of answers. Um, Ten days later, um, she had her sixth episode. This time, it was preceded by vomiting and throwing up, and and it turned turned out to be yellow, so it was bile. Um, it was just re- repetitive, and um, and it was that was the only thing that was different. Um, but you know, as soon as she got to the hospital, she was recovering. She was even sipping on a straw. She was eating a graham cracker. Uh, she was 10 months of age at this point. And uh, I was waiting outside of the ER because uh, COVID, only one parent could be there. Um, and so my wife was with her. And um, I ended up going back home to take care of the other kids and got a, uh, a call that, that I'll never forget um, from my wife saying that my, my daughter's heart rate went down uh, precipitously, basically to zero. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions around what happened. There was some medication given to her, um, after which point in time, uh, her heart basically stopped, uh, within a minute. Um, so, you know, we, we don't know entirely what that was. And even, um, so, so after her heart dropped, they try to do, um, you know, complete resuscitation, complete, uh, emergency, uh, ECMO, they call it, it's basically a machine that um, takes the place of your heart and pumps blood throughout your body um, because her heart had st- stopped, her organs had stopped working um, almost entirely. And so um, she was on life support for about 24 hours. Uh, but after that point in time, it was, it was uh, clear that she had no brain activity. Um, it was the most agonizing, painful uh, in 24 hours I've ever had in, in my life. And, and I hope no parent should, should ever have to uh, live through that. Um, and, it, you know, they gave us, you know, after they, they decided, you know, she, she, she was pronounced dead. Um, they gave us a couple of hours to bathe her, uh, to clothe her, uh, to do some memory making, uh, handprints, et cetera, with her, um, and, and they let us hold her. And so I, I held her 
uh, I sang to her uh, just as a saying every single night uh, when she was going to sleep. And I told her, you know, daddy doesn't know, daddy doesn't know what went wrong, um, but I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that no parent you know, has to feel this way, um, you know, in the future. And, 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 and not knowing, um, not having a diagnosis, it's been, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's that, that lack of closure above and beyond the pain and suffering is, it's really just that the fact that we don't know, um, the, the county did an a autopsy uh, here. Five months later, they said there's no known uh, cause of death. Um, so even on her, her death certificate right now, it says cause of death unknown. And so um, it's something, I, and I can, I can talk more about this, but it's something that um, has transformed my entire perspective on life in and of itself and how I spend my time on a day-to-day basis and where my priorities lie. And it's also changed my whole trajectory in terms of my career as well. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that, you know, beautiful things that have come, uh, through grief. Um, however, I made a, a very pointed effort to really embrace grief in all of the stages. And, you know, there's the five stages of grief, but there's a lot more than that as well. <laughs> it's, it's certainly not a linear process. Mm. Anger, frustration, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, anger with, with God, with the doctors, with, uh, with life. Um, but also that, that feeling of despondent, like I, I just, just feeling of helplessness and, and futility. Um, you know, the, the helplessness that one feels when not knowing when something's going, going wrong. And, and there's, there's, and the aspect to that where I didn't have the power to protect my child. Um, and that's, you know, something that lives with me. Um, but I've also been trying to harness that in, in a positive manner as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm really grateful. It's, it's, I really want to talk to you about grief um, because, you know, with all those episodes, numerous episodes you know I was hearing you sort of say you know you were you guys were just expecting another recovery uh, uh, you know and then you got that phone call yeah it, it became you know a repetitive process we we this this is a pattern this is something that we knew hey maybe this time we shouldn't even bring her to the hospital was was kind of my first thought because we know that she's going to get better and we know that you know, she suffered through a lot of torture with, you know, the needles and the prodding and poking in the hospital. She certainly didn't like it. Um, we didn't like it either being away from family. Um, but you know, uh, the fact that it was the unknown unknowns and, and one of the revelations was that, you know, we think about doctors and science and medicine and all the advancements in that space, but yet there's a whole body of cases that, that go undiscovered, unknown, uh, no answers. Um, you know, there's, there's something like 20 million Americans here that, uh, are living with an unknown diagnosis. They, they just don't really know what they have, but they know something's wrong. Um, so, you know, that, that's pushed me in a way to, um, kind of think about how I spend my life. And, and so I, I've 
lived a lot of my life with uh, dealing with data and with numbers and um, and the fact that data is, is by and large um, from a big data and AI machine learning perspective is not used, it's not utilized in medicine, uh, a number of different reasons for that um, from compliance and regulation and privacy, et cetera. Um, but a lot of times, you know, I personally believe there's, there's a lot of answers that can be discovered, especially, you know, if you're a parent, you know, just searching for answers, knowing that doctors don't know the answer, um, you know, hey, let's go to another source of information and, and try to you know, run through all her records um, you know, put all her numbers into a database and, and, and see, let's see if there's some match, some pattern out there, um, uh, you know, some way that we can figure out a diagnosis. But that reality is, as, a, as I've learned, is, is pretty far uh, from, uh, from the present day. Um, but I have, you know, changed my whole career and, and, and now I'm actually working, um, with developmental data for children in and of itself and trying to empower parents, um, to really understand their child's development at the early stages from the first day of life, um, up to five years, um, by the five-year mark, your, your brain essentially has developed uh, 90% of it, um, um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of unknown things that that happen um, on the developmental stages. You you're familiar with you know the walking and crawling and, uh, mm. and and talking and laughing. However, there's there's tons and tons of different milestones, thousands of milestones that babies do within those first you know, few years of life um, that are just important to monitor, important to really understand. Um, and and that particular space um, there's a large number of uh, children, 20% of all children have some kind of developmental delay. Um, not, of, not all are severe. Uh, some are very mild, um, but yet only 3% actually have a diagnosis. And so there's, there's a lot of work that, that needs to be done in that space. Um, you know, I'm not sure if Aviv even had a developmental delay, but um, what my internal drive is, is to really help, help others, help children, help parents, you know, get answers, uh, to questions that they really, really deserve. Um, so and I, I can see that, um, you know, on its most basic level, you know, having a death certificate, which says unknown must be incredibly challenging, you know, because we often spend our time looking for answers, as you say. So what I'm hearing is you've got You've got, I, I'm really simplifying this, Hans, but you've got, you say multifaceted, but you've got this um, data development, um, really trying to see if you can help uh, produce something which is going to be of huge benefit for future parents and future children. And then you've got this really creative, and you could say that the data is creative at all, but uh, of course, but you've also got this book, which is. I believe a number one bestseller you said on Amazon, um, where you're, where, so you've got the preventative work, but then you've got this zest for life that you're trying to share, which is what you feel Aviva would have been offering. Is it, is that? Yes. Yes. Is exactly. And I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I kind of veered off course with the book. Um, and, and I kind of want to, you know, come back to that uh, a little bit more. And, and so, you know, we, we've all 
probably been through funerals and, and been through losses and death. And um, it's, it's always something that's, you know, not necessarily, it's not celebrated, but it's, it's not necessarily um, very widely you know, shared and widely um, regarded as something that, that can be talked about conversationally. And, um, and it's, it's really hard for people to even bring up, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, or, or even to reach out saying, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, I still have friends to this day, best friends, you know, who are best men at, at my wedding, um, have not even made an attempt to, to call me nor text me, which, which is just, um, very perplexing, very confusing, but, um, so there, there's a lot of stigma around how to actually talk about death. Um, mm. yet it is the most basic fact of life. Every single human will die. And the other basic thing is if you ever love somebody, the more love that you have for that person, the more grief you will experience when that, once that person's gone. Um, you know, love and love and grief are intimately intertwined. Um, and so the nature for the book, um, you know, thinking about all of the impact that, that she would have had. And so in funerals, you, you kind of go there and people talk about, you know, how this person changed my life right? or, or a great story about, you know, this person and how he continues to live on. And this is his legacy, or, so, you know, this, that, and therefore. And um, with Aviva at her funeral, uh, you know, not many people got to know her and, and, yeah, and not yeah. many people got to tell her stories. And, and it's really, you know, apparent that that is something that's on me. You know, I, I, I knew her very well. Um, that was one of the benefits of COVID. I got to work with her from home all, all the time. Um, was that, you know, it's, it's, it's imperative for me to really share her story and let, let her work through me so that she can create an impact on others. And, and that's my only wish that, that I like for her um, through this book and, and maybe other books that come uh, from, from this is that I, I want people, you know, as a parent um, to know who she is and, and all parents, the one basic fact about parents is that you want a bright future for your child. You want your, mm -hmm. your child to really excel, succeed in whatever way um, you want to see them grow in the future. And um, that's no different for a parent who has lost a child. I, I want to see her, you know, make an impact on others and, and, and see, see her, you know, be known to other people as well, uh, even posthumously. So, um, I think, I think, you know, the book is a really good medium to do so and, and, and channeling a lot of my grief through there. Um, but I, I can, <laughs> there's, there's certainly a lot of things to talk about grief. And, and the one big thing I, I would say is, is really, um, anyone going through that, just embrace it and, and have a lot of patience and self-care. Uh, those are, are very pivotal things to, to really focus on, uh, during your grief. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, and I love, um, you know, Aviva's got a legacy, right? And that's so wonderful. What a gift, you know, from her to you and, and, and you back to her and, and to anybody who reads those books. So, yeah, that's lovely. And, and you say um, you, you say and, and, and you've already suggested here with me that, you know, you really feel that grief is misunderstood. And I I am the kind of person who can approach somebody 
and recognize their loss. But I know for many, many people, it's really challenging. They literally don't know how to do it. And as somebody grieving, you know, what would you say to those people? You know, what did you, what do you want from your best man or, you know, because we're not looking for much, are we? Yeah. Um, so the biggest thing I, w- I would say, and, and this is really directed to anyone who's a friend, family, supporter, colleague of someone going through grief. And so not directly the griever himself or herself, but their supporters, the, the circle around them, which is you know, much bigger. Um, if, if you know someone going through grief, which you know, through, through COVID and the pandemic, we, we all probably do. Um, my message to you is show up. Two words, just, just show up. Mm-hmm. Show up in, in whatever way, whatever capacity that that means to you, whether that's as simple as sending a text message or as moving as giving a hug and embracing them. Not, you know, not, not a soft hug, like a, a real, real hug or, you know, give them a phone call, um, you know, uh, taking a burden off, off their plate, you know, going to the grocery for them, um, doing an errand um, or just a message saying, yeah, Hey, I'm thinking about you. And, and I'd love to you know, sit with you in your grief. Um, there's a, uh, an analogy from Brene Brown, um, talking about grief. It's, it's, it goes something like this. When, when you go through grief, it's almost like you're sitting in a deep, dark well, basically well underneath the ground. Right. And, and you just feel the whole world's passing you by and, 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 and you're by yourself, you're isolated. You feel very lonely. Um, nobody else understands how you feel. Um, that's a very natural thing about grief. And there's supporters that come along the way and they look, you know, most supporters look down in that well, they say, Hey, I I see you sitting down there. You know, I I know it must suck. Um, You know, just let me know if there's anything I can do. And, and then that person, you know, walks along, goes, goes on his merry way and, and doesn't necessarily come back. um, Doesn't really necessarily think about that person again. Um, then there's the other type of supporters, and these are rare. These are very unique. Um, these are few and far between that come, look down into the well and say, hey, I, I know that you're going through a really hard time. It it's, must be extremely painful. I'm going to grab a ladder. I'm going to come down. I'm going to sit with you, sit with you in your grief. And when you're ready, I'm going to help you climb out of that well with you, um, you know, help you get back basically on your feet, but I, obviously not until they're ready. And so, you know, that, that's an analogy of, of really one of the finite things that we have in life is time. Um, we're never going to get time back. And so being able to give time through listening, uh, through being with someone is extremely it's extremely moving being able to give a shoulder to lean on to commiserate them when they're frustrated and angry, um, you know, to cry. Uh, some of the most moving things that people have done with me is, is just being able to cry uh, with me when, when I tell Aviva's story. Um, and so, you know, even what you're doing here, giving me the space um, 
to, to really, you know, talk about Aviva, which I don't get to do on a daily basis. It's uh, incredibly you know, grateful for me. Um, the last thing I'll say about that is one thing is people confuse is distance and space. Mm. They sound, they sound very similar. Um, but w- when people say, Hey, I know you're going through a tough time and just going to give you a little, little distance, um, or, or give you a little space. They, they just completely remove themselves and, and just, you know, don't, don't necessarily check in and, and, and kind of, you know, let you be by yourself, which is, it, it's hard. Um, but space is really giving them that opportunity to, you know, to vent, to frustrate, to express themselves, uh, to cry, et cetera. And I, and I would say, you know, to all supporters really try to give your, your, your griever, um, some space in terms of, uh, allowing them to, you know, fully express uh, their emotions, which is, it's not, not easy to do and not, not many people know how to do that. Um, but, but sometimes, goodness, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say there, Hans, that maybe, maybe somebody who approaches, uh, you know, their commiseration or, or how they approach somebody who's grieving uh, clumsily, mm-hmm. then that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it, it because is. at least they're at least they're they're reaching out. Is that fair? Yes, yes it, it it is, and it, it's really you know taking the proactive step that counts. It's it's not not always the thought that counts because you can kind of be thinking about something, um, but not actually doing anything about it. Um, what I would say is is being able to take that proactive step and and really, you know, it it might come out. You know, there's certainly a whole list of things that are very hurtful to hear. I can kind of go into that. That's a whole nother rabbit hole. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, if 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 you if you make the attempts, and and even especially one year on and six months on, uh, you know, now eighteen months on, uh, people just don't don't even check in um, at, at all. There's there's almost nobody. Um, but if you do, like you, you, you certainly stand out. Um, and, and there's, there's only a handful, even three months out that, that really kind of checked in and, 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 and saw, you know, basically wanted to, to lend that support. Um, but the thing with grief is it doesn't, there's no finite date. It doesn't end. Uh, there's, there's different gradations of it, but, um, but yeah, anytime, anytime you say that, um, like, on the outside, it looks like someone's moved on. Um, certainly, you know, especially with a loss of child, you don't you don't really move on. Uh, you carry it with you. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for that. And and I think that's really helpful because I I don't often hear that kind of conversation about you know reach out, give somebody that space to be themselves, even if they turn up angry or pissed off or whatever just allow them to be in their moment, whatever their grieving moment is. And I just wanted to ask you, um, did you notice any differences with your wife's grieving? You know, did you, did you find that you were coping in very different ways or, you know, how, what did you see there? Yeah. um, That, that is a a very good question. Um, It's something that, you know, couples, whenever they, 
encounter a tragic loss, like the loss of a child, many times it leads to divorce. Many times people kind of go their separate ways. Um, and it's, if you point back to a reason, if you drill down to the reason, this is a lot of times it's not because of the, the event itself, but it's because of the differences in the way that people actually grieve, that couples actually grieve in terms of, you know, where, where they're at, how they want to move forward, et cetera. Um, and, and so it was something that, um, was certainly very top of mind for us. We, we knew that we really had to, had to embrace each other's grieving styles, um, because they, they were very different. First I'll start, start with the similarities. We both, um, end up reading a lot of books. We read, you know, maybe 30, 40 books on grief in and of itself, um, because this is brand new topic. And, and I would say we almost have like masters of grief and grief, like just from all of that reading. But in terms of, um, another, another thing we both did was, was actually write. Um, so we've used, you know, writing. So, um, both, you know, journal format. Um, I've also written, uh, an adult book for, um, but it, it captures a lot of the memoir, uh, the memoir of, of, of Aviva, but also, um, a lot of my own grieving journey, um, that I hope to share and publish later. Um, but you know, that writing has been a really good outlet for both of us. Um, but then differences, you know, she's been more private, more reserved, more closed, doesn't necessarily easily talk about it, you know, with outside, you know, friends or outsiders or strangers. Um, I've been a lot more open, a, a lot more public, uh, you know, wanting to share with the intent to share my daughter's story. And so the book certainly has provided a really good platform to do that and, and lower that barrier, lower that stigma of talking about my daughter. Um, you know, being on these podcasts have, have been um, helpful for me in a sense that, yes, I do get to talk about my daughter, but also I get to spread a message um, about my own journey through grief and, and things I've learned through it. Uh, and the perspective I've gained, as I've shared with you, uh, on parenting in and of itself, um, that is one thing that, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but I'm grateful for, um, it's, it's hard to get to that point going through gr from grief to gratitude. Um, but in terms of grieving gracefully, um, my, my wish for, for anyone going through that is, is to get to some point of gratitude, um, because it, it, it certainly is, is really easy to get stuck in a very deep, dark hole. Um, and so that's, that's another thing that we both didn't want to experience. We both wanted to embrace each other. So we both got, you know, therapy from in, individually. Um, we've both gone, gone through, uh, grieving groups as well. Um, I've taken to them a little bit more than she has. Um, but in terms of, you know, even tears, um, she, she certainly, you know, sheds more tears more easily, uh, than I do. Um, but that's not to say that I don't. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that the one thing that I will say about the grieving journey is every single person has a different style, different type that you just don't know until you get there. Um, but there's no, when there's, there's no real right way to grieve. However, uh, there is a wrong way that I've, I've seen, um, you know, th from many different channels, but, um, the one wrong way is, is, is actually to not grieve at all. 
and, and to not right. process, to yeah. lock it in the closet, to try to hide it away, not talk about it, um, because that ends up being self-destructive. And, you know, 90% of the cases is, you know, it comes out, whether it's a year from then or 10 years from them or 20 years, um, exactly. it usually leads to self-destructive behavior because you're, you're not actually processing those emotions that are, are, are so visceral um, through grief. So. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Well, you know, that really leads me on to, you know, really pretty much my last question of you. And I'm so grateful for what you've shared. I really, really am touched by, you know, what you've given us. And 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 this is precarious parenting, right? This is what this podcast is all about for me. So, you know, what would be your message? So you've you've talked a lot about messages and you've said about people not grieving. Because if you could leave this podcast with one message to people, you know, what would that be? Yeah. My one message to to your audience, to parents, is to really cherish, cherish your children and surround them with love. Um, it's it's really something that is, is, is very important. Um, you know, never, never take one day for granted with your child. Um, you know, you might be having a hard day. You might be, you know, at your wits end, um, you know, kind of with temper tantrums flaring. Um, but, but just, uh, take a step back, you know, the next time that you find yourself in that situation, take a step back and, and say to yourself, Hey, it's another day. It's another trauma, but I'm lucky that I get to experience, you know, everything that you're experiencing right then and there. Um, I think that is the biggest thing that I love to share to, you know, to your audience is a perspective that, you know, I'm, I'm certainly grateful for in, 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 in a lot of regards. So. Yeah, great. So if, if anybody wanted to find out more about you, to get hold of your book and your future books that are in the pipeline, um, uh, maybe make contact with you, you know, how would they do that? And I'll, I'll obviously have this in the show notes as well, but how would you suggest people find you? Okay. So if you want to get in, in contact with me, Aviva's dad is uh, on Instagram. So Instagram at Aviva's dad is uh, the way that I expressed myself. It's an outlet that um, has given me a, you know, a, a means to, to talk about, about grief. I've uh, never really done a lot of social media before, um, but really enjoyed doing that and connecting with, you know, other bereaved parents, uh, or anyone else that's, you know, curious to learn about, about grief. Um, and then my website, um, so hanskohlberg.com, uh, is, is another good way. There's an email, uh, link there. So you can just shoot me an email if you have any other questions. Um, I, one of the biggest things for me in my perspective is, is really helping others. Um, so I really love you know, uh, any opportunity to, to really help in any capacity, uh, whether it's that's just giving a, a stranger a smile on the street. Um, yeah. That's that's something that I try to do day in, day out. So, uh, I appreciate your time so much. Okay. Thank, you Thank you so, so much. much. I've loved it. Thank you so much, Hans. I appreciate your time too, Marie. Thank you so much for having me on your show. listening to precarious parenting by realization works subscribe to realizationworks.com to access more resources including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people